The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We're going to open the Bible. We're looking at 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8, the beginning of verse 8. So if you're filling in the uh, tween scene study sheet, it's 1 Corinthians 13, uh, verses 4 through 8. But let's pray. Jesus, uh, we're te- we're, we're, you've led us to a text that is challenging us on how we love one another in this room. You've, you've called your people to love, and uh, that's not, 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 not a, a general call. It's a specific call to love the family of God. So, Jesus, I pray as we unfold this text, uh, you would both strengthen us and, 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 and challenge us and give us hearts of submission and obedience to your teaching. In Christ's name. Amen. About 50 years ago, Dionne Warwick made a song famous, What the World Needs Now is Love, Sweet Love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. She talked about there's enough mountains and hills to climb, there's enough rivers and oceans to cross. But if there's only one thing that we need more of, it's it's love, sweet love. And um, what we've been called to last week, this week, and next week is just to sort of dive into the most famous chapter on love, which is 1 Corinthians 13. You may have heard it read at, at weddings. This isn't about marriage, married couples, okay? It helps, but this is actually written to us, Christians. It was written to the church at Corinth. I've been to Corinth, I can say that. It's a unique place. It's a hill on a gentle slope that slopes north, looking to uh, the Mediterranean, uh, and there's mountains on the other side, but is looking north, a very prosperous city, a very intellectual city, a very uh, happening city, a very broken city, and the church was just like that. The people in uh, the the people in Corinth that made up the church were uh, intellectuals and 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 slaves. They were they were wealthy and poor. Uh, they were well spoken and those who weren't. And the Corinth church could boast about a lot. They had diversity. They had extreme giftedness, had some very eloquent teachers. But right smack dab in the middle of this book, not by accident, is this teaching on love. And, and if you read the book, 1 Corinthians, there was division in the church between the haves and the have-nots. They, were, um, they would come together at a meal, and the wealthy people would eat on one side, and the poor people would eat on the other. There was a fight over whose who's, uh place in the church was more predominant based upon their giftedness. And in all of that, Paul was compelled by, the, by Jesus and the Holy Spirit to, to write this chapter right in, this, in the middle of it. I'm going to make two comments before we begin here. One is uh, there's, there was an Australian theologian and Bible commentator by the name of uh, Leon, his middle name was Lamb, L-A-M-B. I thought that, I've never seen that before. Leon Lamb Morris. Um, and he, 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 um, and, and I want, the reason I want to mention his name is because a lot of my thinking today came from him, and I just want to give him credit. I'm not quoting from him the whole time, but he influenced me on this. The second thing is, um, here's a question. How, ma- how many points make up an ideal sermon? And you can say one. Yeah, Jan just said three. I heard a great sermon last night. Went down to King's Cross. They had, had three. Well, today we have 16 points. 
Yeah, you can laugh. Um, and I, I'm going to blame my mom on this because my mom's right here, and she's, she's got some incredible gifts. I, her meals were always amazing. She was, she's to this day super organized, so I try to see her once a week. And if I'm in the kitchen kind of preparing a meal under her ins- clear instructions, uh, she, she can tell me what drawer certain utensils are in. And that's how organized she is. And mom, and this is the thing I'm getting to, is she was one for lists. Lists. She would have lists that would get things done. Now, I'd like to, I'd like to, I'd like to just blame God for this list because there's a list of thir- uh, 16 uh, descriptors of a love-filled life. 16 descriptors. Yeah, there's mom. 16 descriptors of a love-filled life uh, from 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. And so what we're going to look at is these, and this is an inspired list. It is meant for us. A list is meant to check off certain things. And so I'm just laying on you some responsibility to hear God's list, like he gave 10 in the Old Testament. Here we have 16 descriptors of what a love-filled life looks like. Now, I want, I want to, before we begin, I want to kind of deliver you from uh, a guilt or shame type sermon, okay? I'm not trying to get you to work hard on your, work harder on your own. What I want you to do is work in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. We sang a song earlier, in our weakness, he is strong. You have every right to say, God, I don't know how to apply this. And then as we go through this list, here's my challenge for you. Ask God, the Holy Spirit, to say, and, and um, say, which ones do you want me to focus on? Okay, Which ones of these 16 descriptors? And uh, let the Holy Spirit speak. So let's dive in. What is a love-filled life look like in the church now remember this has to do with how we love each other in this room and if you're not a christian you're not committed our job is to love you into god's eternal family because your earthly family will die you will put up you'll you'll put up gravestones or cremation but it will die but you either have father god or the bible says you're or you can be of the father of the devil who is a, a liar and lying to you saying don't worry about it you can party in my place so, those of you who are not committed to this, we are trying to love you into the kingdom. Not by pointing out your evils. We're just saying, hey, we're, we're, the, we're just as bad. We're pointing out the grace of God would come and rescue sinners like us. But for the rest of you, those of you who are committed to Jesus, this is for you and me to say, how do we love each other in this room? And if you're not committed to this church, and the church you're committed to it. If you're not committed to the church, you may not be a Christian. Okay? Because the Bible says you can't love the Father and not love his children. All right? Just, um, Yeah. All right, first thing, love is patient. Oh, let's put up the list, okay? So here's the list. Now, the white side are the good things, the positive descriptors. The, the, uh, the, the dark side are the negative descriptors that love is not, all right? And these all show up. So the list begins with love is patient. Let's just run through these. Love is patient. That means you show restraint on telling people to hurry up. That you are able to accept the delays in people's lives, even though it may annoy you. The Bible says very clearly in Second Peter, God is patient with you. That's, the, that's a quote, Second Peter chapter two, 3, verse 9. This is opposite of being short-tempered. Like, will you hurry up? Will you grow up? Will you mature? I want to say that often myself, but 
under restraint when typically, and the, this, this issue of patience is just, the, it, and this is different from long-suffering, which deals with circumstances. Patience is clearly dealing with how we love one another. And so showing self-restraint on quitting on people too soon, not in a hurry with people. Let me, here's a great question. Who in this congregation do you need to be more patient with? Remember, this is applying to us. This is written to Christians on how well we love each other. In fact, right before this, Paul does a teaching on, on, on communion, which we end with, and he says, do not uh, examine yourself that you have not taken the body of Christ lightly. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 11. Okay, the second one, love is patient, love is kind. This is the only occurrence of this word in the New Testament. This is the positive reaction with goodness towards those who are ill-treated. It gives. Last week, uh, Steve Eno gave a working definition, which I think fits really well here. The inner desire for good of another, it's not just the inner desire, that motivates action to accomplish that good. It is active goodness. That's what kindness is. So patience is holding back, like hurry up, hurry up. Kindness is moving forward with goodness, all right? Now, what happens here? Oh, I wanted to use this for a while. Okay, oh, it doesn't even work on a screen. Look at that. The screen absorbs it. That's amazing. So I have a laser thing. Um, oh, well, it used to work. So what happens here is Paul takes a break from the two big positive things, okay? And he goes all negative. He, he, so I was going to point from, so be, the Bible says love is patient, love is kind. Then it goes, love does not envy or boast. And so it, then he goes through these eight on this, uh, on, on the, the negative side, and, and that's, that's where we're headed. Uh, the whole idea of envy is um, not being jealous of someone else's vacation in this room. Not being jealous of their income. Not being jealous of their gifts. It's, it's, it's the opposite of being glad that people are blessed. The Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice. Now, what I'm going to do with all these negative ones, I'm going to give you a little remedy I, that I think may work. So what's the remedy to jealous, jealousy? When you start to feel jealous about someone's blessing, their vacation, their spouse, their income, their intellect, their looks, whatever, replace it with gratitude. Say, God, I thank you that you gave them that vacation. God, I thank you that you gave them that job. God, I thank you that you gave them that, those looks. God, I'm thankful that you gave them those gifts. You turn the envy, the feelings of jealousy, into a prayer of thanksgiving. You can't do, be doing both at the same time. All right, the, 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 so patient, kind, we're over to envy. Love does not boast. This is, the, the literal word means love is not a windbag. It just isn't filled with words about what's so important to, to, it's someone who is so filled with themselves they can't listen to anybody else. An overinflated view of how important your words and your life and your activities and your things are. It's all about me is the boasting person and that is not love. The remedy to this, when you're talking with people or, I mean, conversing with people, Keep asking questions about their lives. How was your week? What are you doing for work? What are you planning this summer? 
Just keep asking because this forces you to listen to them and what matters to them. It replaces boasting with concern. Or, if you just have to talk, Galatians 6.14 says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus. Talk about how Jesus saved you from all all your mess. Boast in Jesus. If you have to boast, as Paul said, boast in Jesus. As C.S. Lewis says, this isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Okay? You are, a, if, you're in, if you're in Jesus, you're, you're a treasured, favored child of God. The Father delights in you. But boasting replaces the humble, being a humble recipient of that grace with almost like, isn't the Father lucky to have me? Number five, love, it is not arrogant. This is the whole idea of self-promotion. Uh, you use the word self for all sorts of things. Self-obsession, liking to hear ourselves talk or most concerned about my own life. Self-reliance, my own natural abilities and my sheer will, willpower and gifts are going to carry me through with no humble reliance upon God. Self-promotion, it's my life, my reputation, my ego, my attention. Love is concerned to give itself, not assert itself. Steve gave that definition last week that love is that, uh, it's long, so I couldn't remember, I didn't memorize it, but the inner desire for good of another that motivates action to accomplish that good. I think that's a really good definition. But um, for any, married, any, any engaged couples that might sit down with me and do pre-marriage counseling, I got a, I got a loaded question. Listen well, Tyler. One word definition of love is giving. For God so loved the world, he gave. You could make an argument that it's serving, and I think that's, we could argue that one. If you're arguing between love, uh, giving and serving, I think that's a really good argument to have. Love is concerned to give itself, not assert itself. It is not arrogant. And the remedy to this is to promote another, speak well of another. When you're tempted to think about your accomplishments and your achievements and who you are, replace it with talking about how good it is to be in a, a family of God that has remarkable people in it. The people sitting here, sitting in your missional community, talk about the goodness of others. Love is not rude. That means out of form, unseemly irritating behavior. Now, I, 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 other than saying, don't be rude, don't be irritating, how do you, how do you assess that? I'm gonna, I think the best way, and I'll just, you let me know where I irritate you, okay? I, okay, I open myself up to you, but in your missional communities, with people close to you, with your spouse, with people close to you, ask them, when am I rude? When am I thoughtless? When am I just irritating? Because it's really important. We, we use the term self-obsession, self-reliant and all that. But there's a good self. It's self-awareness. It's really good to know where our weaknesses are. Number seven, love does not insist on its own way. 
This doesn't mean you don't have a preferred way or you don't make a plan. Our uh, Fight Club guys, we talk about having a plan. If it's six months, six years, six whatever, have a plan. Own your life. But this means my plan, my preferred way, is not what I'm obsessed with. I am not being centered on self. I am I'm willing to be here for others. And if it interrupts my plan, then so be it. That's a good thing. And the remedy to insisting on your own way is to choose to live to serve. One way to do this, and I think this is the Lord's Prayer, is when you are making your plans, quote the Lord's Prayer, and at that part and say, may your kingdom come, your will be done. Don't insist on your own way. All right, we're already on, uh, we're halfway through. We're done, not, not, down to number eight. Love is not irritable. Ooh, baby. Not easily provoked, or a good English word is not touchy. Not, doesn't have thin-skinned. Karl Barth, a World War II theologian, part of the confessing church that stood up against Nazism, uh, he said this, I love this quote. A neighbor can get dreadfully on my nerves even in the exercise of what he regards as and may well, very well may be his particular gift. So he's saying a neighbor, even using his gifts, may get on my nerves. Love cannot alter the fact that he gets on my nerves, but love can rule out my allowing myself to be provoked by him. Some people are just irritating, right? Our job in this is not to be irritable because people are provoking us. Not easily provoked, some translations will read. I was thinking about how do, how do, you, how do you come up with a remedy when you're irritable about people? Silence and prayer. Shut up and talk to God about them. Because this is a, the person in front of you is loved by God whether they're part of God's family or not, whether they've been adopted into God's family or not. It's like when, when I was a kid and we'd have my friends over for my birthday dinner. Um, Mom didn't love me in a special way. She fed them all the same food. That's how God feels about the whole world. He has a general love for everybody. And guess who you and I are? We're the body of Christ. We're the visible embodiment of heaven on earth. And we cannot allow people to irritate us. That's what it, love does not, is not irritable. Love prays, holds their tongue and prays. God bless them. Bless them, Lord, bless them. Number nine, love is not resentful. So here we are over here, resentful. This is one where you keep an account, literally. Some of your translation says keeping no record of wrong. You harbor a sense of injury. You have filing cabinets full of hurt. It's spring cleaning, folks. It's still spring. Time to dump that stuff. That was an amazing thing about going to the dump. You take stuff there. Some of it can you know, have meaning or whatever. You take it there. And almost to a piece of garbage, or a piece that may not be that, you, you, you never remember it. I can't remember all the stuff I've taken to the dump. And, and some of us like to cling to records of wrong in the past. And the, 
Okay, some people can remember what the data dump. All right, I'm sorry. This, uh, the illustrations don't always fit. For normal people, no. <laughs> but uh, with the, 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 the idea here is you and I, love just keeps no record of wrong. Married couples or soon to be married couples, this is a really good principle. It doesn't keep looking back. The remedy is to do spring cleaning in the mind, get rid of the junk, and this is where the Lord's Prayer also helps. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, how many times do you have to forgive somebody for sinning against you for the same sin? Well, many times, actually, because if it comes back and it hurts you still, you have to forgive them again. That's not being resentful. The last negative one is love does not rejoice in wrong. There's a dark nature to us that demonstrates itself in both news and in TV shows that like to propagate evil. Most of our news that comes to us in written form, online form, TV form is negative. And there's something about the broken human nature that finds evil and wrong appealing. And part of it is that when something bad happens to others, there's a side of us that goes, I'm glad it wasn't me. Oh, they must have deserved it. There's a dark side of us that's snide. Love is not that way. Love does not look around, and when something goes wrong with someone in our congregation, it doesn't go, well, they probably weren't doing their devotions. That's not what love does. Because what happens is there's a dark side of us that we like to pretend we're better than others. And the reason I'm living a blessed life is because I'm really good. Tell that to Job or Jeremiah or, for that matter, Jesus. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing or wrong. And I think the remedy of this is to turn our disgust inward. Oh, we love to throw rocks at all the evil in the world. Jesus gives the principle, hey, deal with a log in your own eye. Before you try to point at people's problems in their lives, deal with the stuff, turn your disgust inward. Not, not to beat yourself up, to be honest and, and apply the gospel. God doesn't want you to remain in disgust, but he doesn't want you to be disgusted with others either. All right, Paul, for whatever reason, and by the way, 1 Corinthians 13 is very poetic. It's not written as a theological treatise. It's written in a very, well, if I speak with the tongue of men and of angels and have not love, I become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the prophetic powers and, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away everything I have, and I deliver my body up to be burned and have not love. I have gained nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. Love is not arrogant or rude. Love does not seek its own way. It is, it is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrong. But it rejoices in the truth. You see how that flows, that the that, that just moves us to... You see, truth makes us happy. Think of it this way. You're lost. You're driving. You're in a big city or in the country road. You're lost. You don't know where you are. 
That means you do not have the true direction to your destination. But when you find the direction, what happens inside you? Relief, this joy, this happiness. It's like then you tell the story of how you were lost and now you were found. You see, we rejoice in truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth. Jesus becomes the ultimate means of, of, of joy because he's, he's, he's shown us not... I mean, the Bible is filled with where we came from and our brokenness, but only in Jesus, as we learned in Hebrews, God has spoken to us in these last days through his Son. Only through Jesus do we see the heart of God and the plan of God, that Jesus would come and rescue us so that we can be his brothers and sisters and share in his inheritance forever. Only in Jesus. Now, that generates joy. And so we rejoice in truth. And let me just say that personally, internally, when our hearts are not filled with joy, um, there's two parts to this. One is our personal responsibility to say, well, what am I focused on? Am I focused on a lie? Like, oh, goodness, God must have not known that bill was coming or the car would break down or my kid would do that. There's a, there's a lie in us that says something that's not true. And so repentance is joy where we go, oh, wait a minute, no, God is sovereign. Nothing catches us by surprise. He's here. He'll see me. In fact, I can count it all joy when I go through trials because God is in it. You see? That's why love rejoices in truth. It bears, then the next three things, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's so beautiful. The idea of bearing all things, actually the better word there might be to cover up it's what, it's what God did when Adam and Eve, after he, he confronted them about their rebellion, he laid on them the curse they brought on the world and how it affect the job and baby, baby birth and their struggle against Satan. He, then he banishes them from his presence, which is why he, Jesus had to come so we could go back to his presence. But what did he do? He covered up their naked shame. You see, love covers up. Love is a protector. And that's what it means that love bears all things. It covers up. Love takes care of people. You know, most time people don't, not always, but most time people don't need to know what they've done wrong. They need to know that there's grace and love and hope. And that's what it means to, to protect, to bear. Love believes all things. Always, this another uh, um, a guy who did a personal translation of the Bible by the name of Moffat, he said, love always is eager to believe the best. Okay, so we can all be pessimistic and cynics. And remember, this is applies to this room, okay? We can be cynical about one another's motives and about one another's activities. But love believes the best in people believes their intentions. Not ready to think the worst. This doesn't mean you're gullible. It just means you choose to, to start with the, the starting point is there must be good behind this. Love hopes all things. This is the confidence that failure is not final. Some in our congregation's marriage doesn't make it. They have to go through divorce. That's not final. If you fail at school, that is not final. 
If you fail in a relationship, it is not final. Love hopes all things. This means that God ultimately triumphs by His grace. All things will work together for good to those who love God. Called according to His purposes. Love is confident that in the end, Jesus wins. Not just, not just on a, 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 a global and, and, and celestial level, but on a personal level. If your faith is in Jesus, you're going to cross the finish line, okay? Love hopes all things. And we believe that about each other. You, you look around, you know who wanders, you know in our congregation who struggles to keep track with Jesus. Love doesn't give up. Some season of personal failure in someone's life that's related to our church family is not permanent. We don't give up. We can't force them, we can't change them, but we don't, we, we hope, the love hopes. I think of, uh, personal illustration, so I'm 53. My oldest brother is 15 years older than I am. He came back to Jesus at 53. He came to Jesus when he was about 14. Uh, gone through a hard, uh, his, his mother died uh, suddenly, and so um, when he was like nine, and so his whole, he ran off with his high school girlfriend. He was 18, she was 16, and uh, he was a pretty much a functioning alcoholic most of his life, dealing with the pain of, of suddenly your mother you know, dying in a weekend. Sometime at age 53, down in Virginia, he just came back to Jesus. My dad never gave up. He never lost hope that his... And I, you know, I, 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 I can't... I want to be careful to say, for you parents who have wandering children, love hopes all things. Keep loving them, stay in their life. Maybe you just need to shut up and send them a gift card. Just, there's, who's beyond the reach of God's grace? Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. The active, positive fortitude that I'm not going to give up by God's grace. And this isn't just sheer willpower. This isn't manning up. Yeah, we got to do that. But this is also the humble reliance that greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. I have to be honest with you, about monthly I want to quit. I want to drive truck. Well, no, I got in a big truck. I didn't like it. Because uh, I'm like you. I'm a quitter by nature. We want to give up on the hard stuff. But the love of God in us for each other. I got to stand back there this morning and watch you stream in. And there's nothing like a family gathering around Jesus. And it's, I wish some of you would show up a little earlier, but it doesn't matter. We love you. Love you, you know. It's, the, the theory is, is why people show up to church late. It's the one place in the world they can show up late and they can't be judged for it. Think about it. You can't do it at work. can't do it at school. Church, we've got to love you. <laughs> I'm going to slap you, but I love you. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. I'm, I'm often late, okay? So you know, if you set an appointment with me, there's a good chance I'm running behind. So I, all that to say... How did I get on that? Oh, love endures. Love stands its ground. Love is patient. Love is kind. But love endures. It persists in the position of a loving God's grace is bigger, stronger, and more lasting than the trial that we're in or the people that are bugging us. And remember, this is written to us as a church. This is written to the Corinth church. This is written to how we love each other. This isn't about a marriage thing. This is about how we love each other.
Love endures all things. And let me just say, those of you who have been long-timers here, God bless you. You didn't quit. It's so encouraging. Because we've been through our ups and downs in the last 15 years. Love never ends. And this segues into next week. Because next week, so, so last week was what love really wasn't. It's, you know, if, if you have all the eloquence and you have all the abilities and you are super generous but have not love, you're nothing. All that religious activity accomplishes nothing. This week is, in this fallen world, by the way, most of this stuff doesn't apply in heaven. We won't be any patience in heaven. I mean, this is, this, this is earthly love from God in this setting for each other. This is family love for God's people. And the last one there is love never ends. It, it literally won't collapse. It won't collapse. And we'll talk more about that next week. But love, as Jonathan Edwards would say, love is the sum of all other virtues. Love is the sum of all other virtues. So what does it mean to live a love-filled life as the central force in the most beautiful part of Christian community? It means this list. I would urge you to, to look at the list on a regular basis because love is at the heart of who we are. And, and remember... That this is not me trying to love more by myself, but it's because God loves me, God loves you. He gave us Jesus. We have both the source and the model for love. I put here, because I know there's some hunters in the room. It's open season on loveless Christianity. Go hunting in your own soul for loveless Christianity. This list matters. Eight things. Uh, I'll end with this kind of illustration. The the, uh, um, Chip and Joanna Gaines with Fixer Uppers, a a, a very popular TV show. They're a Christian couple from Texas. They they take houses and and they fix them up. And and I look at this as the internal Fixer Upper. It's kind of like when when Chris and Joanna walk into a place, and they, they kind of look at it and go, well, look what it could be. That's love is patient and kind. Look what it could be. Oh, but here's all the stuff that has to be torn out. But look at all the new stuff that's going to be put in. So it's kind of a, almost a three-step step process. Look at what our lives together in Jesus will be. Not based upon our skill, our looks, our wealth, our intellect, our, our background, but based upon the fact that Jesus is in, in us. And if that's true, then we need to do some interior renovations and pull out a bunch of junk on a regular basis and and stack it full of beautiful things. You see, the most loved people ought to be the most loving people. And you are the most loved people. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are reminded again and again and again Greater love has no man than this, than a man lays down his life for a friend. Jesus, you have called us your, us your friend. That you have laid down your life for us. Lord, as we, as we seek to live out our, our calling in this dark day, in this difficult state, 
with all the struggles of, 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 of this day and time. Forgive us of our cynicism. Forgive us of our lovelessness. Forgive us of wanting to hide and, 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 and remove ourselves and withdraw. Forgive us for that. Fill us with what matters, which is your love in us for each other and then those you put in our, our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.